Welcome to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief, a monthly recap of the macroeconomic and market environment. Well, greetings and welcome to the Investment Strategy Brief podcast. This is Michael O'Keefe, Stiefel's Chief Investment Officer. In this episode, I want to dive into Fed policy and really ask the question, when can the Fed shift its policy? And I intentionally use the word can uh, as as opposed to will or might, uh, because in a way the Fed has sort of painted itself in a corner. It's been very aggressive in communicating uh, hawkish policy until inflation's fully under control. And so it sort of raises the bar on what might uh, the thresholds be uh, for them to actually ease back on this hawkish policy. So that's what we're going to get into in, in, in this episode. And, you know, just to kind of take a step back, as we've talked about for a number of uh, months now, we're in, a, in an environment of elevated, sustained elevated inflation. It's driven by supply chain pressures, which are really outside the Fed's control, but then excess demand uh, really off the back of fiscal and monetary support through the pandemic. Um, and that obviously is something that's in their control. Uh, now, the supply chain pressures are sort of aggravated by China's zero COVID lockdown policies, by the Russia-Ukraine war, uh, tragic war in Ukraine. And, you know, there's other sort of pressures out there. So think of things like Taiwan and China tensions or the, uh, the wars and sort of impact on Europe's energy market and like how they're going to consume energy through the winter. So there's all kinds of tension, but at the end of the day, think of it as these imbalances driving inflation higher and having inflation stay, stay sustained higher. Um, in any event, what we've seen is a Fed that's been a bit behind the curve, meaning they, they've kind of expected things to calm down as we started this year and then progressively they've realized you know inflation's not going down we got to get more and more aggressive and so just a, a sort of update on three measures that we track through their summary of economic projections they expected back in december for 2022 inflation fourth quarter i think it's fourth quarter over fourth quarter at the end of this year um to just be up 2.6% in their, their latest uh, SEP, the Summary of Economic Projections. That number is now 5.4%. So they're basically acknowledging that they were way off when it comes to inflation. As a result, they've gotten increasingly aggressive in hiking their Fed funds interest rate. Um, and you know, so again, starting the year, they thought they'd get it to 0.9% at the end of this year. Now it's up to 44 um, that's a very high rate by historic standards. And then finally, that all leads to uh, what really is a slowdown in the economy. So they started the year with an expectation that real GDP would grow in the U.S. You know, again, fourth quarter over fourth quarter change at about 4%. And now that, uh, that, that growth rate has been muted down by their forecast anyway, what they expect to be down to 0.2%. Uh, for, uh, for that period. And so, you know, the bottom line is the Fed's been behind. I think they're, as a result, getting increasingly assertive about their policy. And so they've hiked rates uh, another 75 basis points in um, in uh, September in the, at that meeting. And, um, and so now their benchmark rate is up to three and a quarter, uh, but they expect to do more this year for sure and even into 20. 
23. Uh, so a couple uh, sort of points about uh, this. Just let me read a couple quotes from uh, Chairman uh, Jerome Powell. Um, and, and these two are this one. These two are off the back of the the meeting in September. So, quote: We have got to get inflation behind us. I wish there were a painless way to do that. There isn't. End quote. Or quote: We're committed to getting a restrictive level for the federal funds rate and getting there pretty quickly. End quote. So, the bottom line is that that the Fed is increasing its sort of rhetoric about being hawkish and its action about being hawkish. And, and as I said, sort of painting itself into a corner. Now, when we look at the um, the the decline in that Fed Fed forecast for GDP, basically it's three point eight percent lower uh, than where they started the year. So uh, that's a real slowdown. And what we expect to see, we've already seen most uh, sort of uh, firms in, in our industry start with a, a pretty aggressive forecast for growth in 2022, uh, but everybody's backed off of that a, a lot, and we expect more to come as it relates to um, the forecast for the full year of, of uh, 2022 growth. And and what we're seeing anyway is economic growth that's collapsing. And again, wordsmithing here, not the economy collapsing, but economic growth. So think of it as growth that was expected to be you know really strong, kind of getting muted down around zero and that sort of decline happening very quickly. So we can look at things like purchasing managers indices and uh, when they're above 50, it means expansion. When they're below 50, it means contraction and everything's kind of come down uh, to around and round numbers, if you will, around um, 50. Now there's there's pockets of uh, still sort of relative strength and so you know, the bottom line is what, uh, and, and then weakness. But when we just look on average, um, you know, it's it's at or maybe just slightly below 50. So it, so it begs the question anyway, well, well what about recession? So I, I will say for our clients, you know, we talk with them a lot about a lot of things. Uh, and, uh, of course, market behavior and opportunities in the market are at the top of the list, I think. But right up there is recession, and that that's, you know, number one, because it drives the markets, but also we all experience recession, right? Could be jobs, could be about family, it could be about sort of stresses that it creates, and so people are very interested to know, are we in a recession, when are we headed into a recession? And for those that follow our work, you know that we have what we call our recession uh, dashboard. Basically, it's 13 measures that we track. And, you know, in an expansionary environment, all the measures are green. So think of things like uh, wages or commodities or housing or the, the, uh, the purchasing managers indices or we'll monitor things like truck shipments or profit margins. And, you know, they'll all be in the green. But as we move through the economic cycle, they all start to turn yellow. Uh, so we have a number of measures, um, uh, the yield curve shape, which I'll get to in a moment, or credit spreads or... Uh, housing starts. We have a lot of things that are slowing down and have moved well into the cautionary state. But I think importantly, uh, just recently, the team updated two measures into what we call a signal, a potential signal of recession. And the first is wage growth. So basically, we're in a very strong employment environment, and wage growth historically feeds inflation. So think of it as people making more and having more to spend, and that creates a higher 
sort of demands on goods and services, which uh, is, you know, with that excess demand or higher demand is pushing prices up, you know, everything else being equal. But then the second thing uh, on our list of uh, for the uh, recession dashboard is inflation itself, meaning inflation has remained elevated. And so we have it on that dashboard because it really does influence Fed policy and the Fed has sort of progressively got more and more aggressive and essentially signaling that they're willing to uh, tolerate a recession. Now, we still think it's a little bit uncertain whether a recession will be sort of declared, but, uh, and the reason for that, I should say, is that despite sort of a slowdown here and there, um, essentially we have a very, very strong job market, and it's uh, not, you know, that has to weaken before a recession is kind of uh, or considered to be in a recession, maybe a better way to say it. And so again, the punchline here is when we look at different things, you know, we, we think we're well into late cycle, probably moving towards a recession, hard to know exactly when, um, but uh, just things have gotten progressively more severe in that way uh, as a result of the Fed rhetoric and Fed action. Now, one thing we do watch is the what's called the yield curve, the yield curve inversion, the idea that short uh, rates are higher than long rates. So, for example, the two-year being higher than the 10-year on the treasury curve. And that's a traditional thing to look at, but it is a little bit of a delayed thing, and that, that relationship has been inverted. There's another one that we look at called the near-term forward spread that people think many people think are a better si- signal, and that has not yet inverted. And again, as a reminder to get a little technical, it's the expected three-month treasury year, yield in a year and a half uh, minus the current yield. And so uh, when, uh, when that inverts, basically that's a signal uh, uh, that people are thinking a recession is, is looming. In any event, we think we're uh, very late cycle. It's sort of uh, any any moment now by these standards. So it could be over the next number of months where we could see a recession. Um, but and we're going to be watching the slowdown in GDP and so forth. But the job market remains very strong. Now, with all of this, it's been a, a very volatile year in terms of markets, and and I would say that the equity markets have been reacting to you know, both negative and positive news, as it typically does, but in a more severe way this year. And so if I go back and look at, you know, the calendar in the last number of months, you know, June was um, uh, sort of a volatile period because, you know, the market was sort of interpreting uh, what was a a challenging inflation report um, for May. And And then in the wake of that, partly because of an improved June report for inflation. Markets sort of uh, recovered some. We got, though, to August, kind of think mid-August or so, and there, the rhetoric started to kind of get um, amplified by the Fed about needing to stay aggressive, and that culminated really in a Jackson Hole uh, conference uh, sp- speech that Chair Powell gave uh, that really reinforced, we're going to be aggressive, and... And then we had a you know an August CPI report we'll talk about here that was not quite as as good as people wanted. And then the Fed meeting in September where the Fed acted again at 75 basis points and reiterated very strongly its commitment uh, to do everything it needs to do, including uh, tolerating some uh, economic pain 
to get inflation under control. Now, with that, inequities declining and the idea of the Fed being more aggressive, uh, interest rates have gone up. And so that, that's another thing that we're watching uh, pretty closely, of course. Now, one other uh, sort of factor that this all feeds into is earnings on equities. So we talk about it you know, over time, that equities really do perform as a function of future earnings and future earnings growth. And, you know, when we started the year, for example, for the S&P 500, the um, expected earnings growth for 2022 is a whopping, you know, I don't know, almost 17%. And that's really fallen. Um, we're down just below eight. Um, so still a positive number. And a reminder, our long-term average expectation is around 6%. And so, you know, there's been a, a decline recently over the last few weeks or a couple months where it's fallen another 2.4, but the bottom line is, you know, over this full year, we've seen this progression where we're, we're expecting earnings to slow, and I would say that's going to be going to be something that will be in keen focus. So think of it as as the economy really grinds to a halt and, and growth rates really get down close to zero, that will put pressure, especially with higher interest rates, on profits and 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 by extension earnings. And so, you know, that is driving for sure some of this negative volatility in the equity markets. With all that said, you know, when we look at things like traditional measures on equities, we're at least reasonably close to a decent valuation. So stops have, stocks have been getting quote unquote cheaper. But, you know, the other sort of analytical thing that people need to do is they take a look at that relative to where interest rates are. And in fact, where bond yields are which relate to interest rates. And the bottom line is we've seen yields go up as bond prices have gone down. And, and as, a, as a bond investor, you know, one can look at the current environment and say, boy, looking forward, bonds are attractive. You know, we're looking at uh, yields on, uh, you know, let's say, for example, U.S. investment-grade corporate bonds, just to pick a, a category at, you know, around 5.4%, up from 2.3% at the end of last year. Um, or if we look at municipals on what's called a taxable equivalent basis, um, basically that taxable equivalent yield is at about 6.5% compared to uh, just under 2% at the end of last year. So an expansion of yields means as we put money to work in fixed income, you know, that, that investment is more attractive. And, you know, we think that's influencing behavior for sure. Now let's shift back and talk about, you know, when uh, the F Fed might be able to make a shift. So what are they watching? Well, we know that they're watching supply chain pressure. And so, you know, as we've talked about in the past, we're monitoring things like the backlog of orders or shipping costs or supply delivery times and different indices that kind of gauge supply chain pressure. And, you know, the bottom line is we've seen improvement, continued improvement actually, but uh, ne not yet back to levels uh, experienced pre-pandemic. Uh, another thing we're watching to think of it is components on inflation. And so uh, we know energy, for example, has fallen, oil prices, gas prices. And food has been volatile, but we've seen in different, for different indices at least, a, a little bit of improvement there. Uh, now, the punchline with inflation is when we look at headline inflation for CPI, uh, July and August actually were both good months, meaning we saw July basically unchanged, August up only 0.1%, so annualizes to 1.2, which is well below the Fed's 2% target. 
but the core CPI, which excludes food and energy, were, was up uh, 0.3% in July and 0.6% in August. So annualizing at you know 3.7 and 7.4% respectively, and that those numbers are well above the Fed's two percent target. So you know everybody's watching. The Fed for sure is watching for uh, CPI and core CPI, for example, to calm down. Um, now another thing that they're monitoring, as we all do, are in expectations on inflation. That's as as important as anything. Think of it as people people expect inflation. That means companies probably think, hey, we can raise prices. Or, or uh, uh, landlords, or whomever, and 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 it's sort of self self uh, fulfilling. When we look at at sort of the universe of uh, sort of individuals or uh, uh, whatever that are uh, offering us expectation information, there's sort of two forms. There's consumers, um, and and that this is accomplished via surveys. And what I would say is that consumers are sort of susceptible to what I'd call recency bias, which is, hey, if things are bad, they're going to stay bad. And when we look at the consumer view of inflation for the next year, and there's one survey by University of Michigan that says consumers think inflation will be 4.6% for the coming year. Uh, another survey by conference board, basically 7%. Uh, now, when University of Michigan asks the question, well, what about five years from now? Where is inflation going to be for the next five years after that? That number falls to 2.8. In any event, that's one sort of group of surveys uh, that's consumers. But another is investors. And investors tend to get a little bit more analytical. And and there's what are called break-even inflation rates, where you can look at the difference between tips and nominal bonds and impute what investors think. And those numbers are much more muted. So the one year is actually down to about 1.8%. Uh, the five year down to three, uh, 2.4, excuse me, and the 10 year at 2.3 or so. And so think of it as the investors expecting inflation to calm down pretty quickly as we look forward. And that's important because, you know, bottom line is if that market view unfolds, um, that inflation rate down at two to three percent may be enough for the Fed to back off. So let's talk about that. What can the, or when can the uh, Fed shift policy? I think of it as uh, backing off of their hawkish uh, progression here. And if we think of it in terms of the Fed's dual mandate, there's um, really two, two categories, right? There's price stability, is part of their dual mandate, and, and so that's keeping inflation under control. So what kinds of things will they be looking for? We expect that wage pressures, uh, meaning you know higher wages, that pressure will, they'll be looking for that to subside. They'll be looking at components of inflation, food, shelter, core goods, or they seem prices ease. They'll be looking for the supply side of things, supply chain pressures, and those indices and other data to see if that's easing. They'll be watching those expectations we just discussed. I, my instinct is leaning maybe a little bit more towards the uh, investor view rather than the consumer view, but they want th those numbers to continue to fall towards 2%. And then, of course, they're going to want to see the data. So think monthly CPI and then another index for inflation they track as the PCE. They want to see the, <coughs> the, those trending lower. So it's not a data point or two. They want to see a trend. But I do believe if, if the trend goes in a positive direction, that that may give them the uh, confidence to basically back off. Now, the other side of their dual mandate, 
mandate is maximum employment. So think of it as the idea that they can be aggressive for price stability because the employment environment is very strong, but they also then have to watch employment. So imagine an environment where we see the job quits slowing. That's actually a signal of confidence when people quit their jobs to go do something else. Or um, initial jobless claims really going up, which could uh, basically uh, correspond to higher levels of unemployment, um, well above what they would view as maximum employment, which I think they, they quoted around 4%. Or we move into um, a deep recession, so employment gets hit, uh, the economy slows and growth turns negative, uh, and maybe that's related to or fuels deeper, severe financial conditions, asset prices going down and really slowing things down. You know, I'd say the Fed needing or, or uh, making the decision to act because of a weakening of the employment side of things is um, is definitely possible, but that would be negative. Uh, you know, that would be, oh, gee, we've gone too far and people are being impacted both in terms of employment and, and sort of related to that recession. And so the, those are the things that we're watching for. We, we, we still believe that inflation is going to cool down with all this. And uh, with that, maybe the Fed can back off of what feels like a very aggressive uh, uh, policy here. In any event, as we talked about in the last episode, I'll just mention that we are watching the calendar really for dates for things like uh, Fed meeting minutes, employment reports, inflation reports, reports on the consumer um, all kinds of data, and you know, as we've discussed, there's a lot of volatility, and uh, so for the balance of the year, that's what we'll be uh, tracking. Now, I want to spend just a couple minutes on a, a couple of sections that we typically do in our in our podcast series here. First, pandemic. Bottom line is here in the U.S., everything's pretty calm. Uh, we've talked about jobs, you know, recovering, and you know, relative certainly to what happened with the pandemic, we've seen pretty much complete recovery. Um, Consumer remains engaged by the data, at least, but we, we're seeing that start to slow down. It's something we'll be watching very closely. And that means economic growth is going to really move to a standstill. We're not saying, hey, severe recession, but think a growth rate near 0%. So even if we move into a recession, we don't, we don't think it'll be very deep. Um, what's been very interesting is the slowdown is happening, but, it's, but when we look at data, a lot of it's a little bit lagged, right? We're looking at data that's come out reporting on prior periods a lot of the data remains in the green but things like sentiment and leading economic indicators have softened or turned negative and so again we're seeing evidence of a slowdown for sure and that means the consumers uh, a little bit cautious as it relates to the markets you know we've talked about this year being volatile we see we talked about rates going higher heck the the 30-year mortgage uh, rate is up a lot uh, you know by historic standards and uh, over 6%, I think. And so we, we're seeing housing slow down. Um, so there's a lot going on as it relates to that. And, the, and with all of this, we've seen a very volatile equity market. Um, and, and as I've said before, we're, we have midterms, which we'll talk about next month. Uh, but the bottom line is during the midterm period, uh, it's often the case that equity markets are even more volatile. Uh, 2022, as we've discussed, has been uh, disappointing for the 60-40 investor. So those that invest in stocks and bonds together. 
Um, you know, the bottom line is with higher rates, bond prices have gone down and stock prices have gone down. That doesn't typically happen uh, for the calendar year, at least. And so, you know, we're we're watching that and, and mindful that, uh, you know, we're on one hand always t- talking about different sources of diversification, but also recognizing that that relationship will likely uh, reinstate, meaning that they, they typically will be good diversifiers, especially when you look calendar year to calendar year. Now, the Fed has made this shift. Uh, in the past, when they've hiked rates, equity markets have de- generally held up, but it's really uncertain for this particular rate hike cycle. More more to come on that, we'll see. And then, you know, I think notably, uh, as it relates to those watching the markets carefully, we definitely have moved back into a bear market uh, here uh, in 2022. So think of the S&P 500 down now over 20%, like say by this print as of the 23rd of September down 21.6% year to date or growth stocks down, you know, almost 30, 28.6 with that being sort of led by big tech, for example. Um, And so again, markets have been volatile markets have been weak and that's caused people to be a bit more bearish. Uh, But we, you know, we, we take some, uh, you know, for long-term investors comfort in the idea that these markets rotate and, and when we look back at bear markets in history, we've seen recovery. Now, one final thing, which I'll take a quick minute on, is allocate, asset allocation. So recall that we guide clients all the time to invest as long-term investors, often with what we call strategic asset allocation, where you, you set a mix and then you uh, invest in it and maybe rebalance back to it. But we do have clients that are interested in our shorter-term views, what we call dynamic asset allocation, where we're just taking modest leanings against those strategic views. And we've had some bets, things like being overweight non-U.S., overweight value stocks, overweight small cap, overweight high yield. But candidly, what we've done a few weeks ago now is to basically come back to neutral. And And that was really a signal that as we've parsed the information from the Fed, and tried to understand, well, what might they do, right? Um, we recognized um, that, that there's a lot of uncertainty. And so the, the sort of the right thing to do is to kind of come back to neutral and, and sort of take time to further analyze what we think. And then I'm going to say that there's a decent chance we'll do a bunch of work and probably at the latest co- coincident with our 2023 outlook, we may re- reinitiate um, some dynamic leanings as we kind of process what's going on and uh, make decisions about what we think going forward. I'll close by just uh, reminding everyone to uh, you know check out our, our guidance. Um, th- this podcast, there's videos, there's written material, and uh, you can get the slides in the notes of this um, episode. There's a link to them, but importantly, you can also just go to a, a site called stiefelinsights.com, which is a nicely designed site. And so think of it as the top of the page will be our latest work um, and with nice summaries, but then links to the deeper information. So w- welcome all uh, listeners really to uh, check that out. And, you know, a lot going on uh, next month. As I said, we're going to we're going to dive into keep talking about the Fed, I know, but also dive into the midterms uh, as we approach that. Thanks so much for listening uh, to this episode and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to automatically receive each month's podcast in your feed.